Well, I'm afraid the sermon isn't going to hold a candle to Malia and the mandolin this morning. For me, that uh, not just the, the music, but the words and the presence of the performance communicated what, in many ways, I'm going to attempt to communicate only a whole lot better. This is the second Sunday of Lent. And this season of Lent, I asked us to be more aware of the promises that lie in front of us than the terrors and threats that lie behind us. As we seek to purify ourselves, as we prepare ourselves for the coming of new life in both springtime and Easter, to do so with a little bit of enthusiasm, looking ahead. Today, Paul is attempting to explain a mystery. Attempting to explain why it is that faith is so crucial in a world that seems to be built out of what people do, not what they say or what they think. And Paul invites us into seeing the world a new way, seeing with a new pair of glasses. Today we will be looking at what it means to be a child of God, what it means to spread God's message, what it means to reproduce in a way that would not be particularly familiar in our biology textbooks. My message today is a humble one. I'm not going to be trying to take Paul up on the fullest extent of his expression. It's a simple thought, but one that I think opens our eyes to a world of possibility, a world of hope, one that we can anticipate eagerly this Lenten season. Paul wrote his his letter to the church in Rome, about Father Abraham, saying, For he is the father of all of us. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. Knowing full well that a large portion, maybe even the majority of the people he was writing to, did not consider Abraham their ancestor. So Paul has to make this leap. Paul has to make this step saying, Descent from Abraham, yes, is a, is a biological thing. There are people who are flesh and blood of Abraham. In fact, they're quite common. I can find one under the stones over here. They're all over the place. But that descent from Abraham can also mean descent not by the blood, but by faith. This is a picture of three women from Istanbul at the turn of the century. On the left, Jewish In the middle, a bride, an Armenian bride with a veil, and on the right, Greek. These would have been the communities to which Paul wrote. The Jewish people, the Greek, and the surrounding barbarian communities that were less and less barbaric by the year, more and more tied in with the economy of the Mesopotamian basin. To those people... Paul echoes a promise that goes way back to Genesis. Paul says that he's not coming up with something new, but is rather reaffirming what is said in Genesis 12, as we read. 
that Abraham is promised to be a great nation, to be literally the progenitor of a large tribe, but also that through that family, all the families on the earth will be blessed. The, the promise to Abraham starts with an order commanding Abraham to go, to leave the place where he is contented, and then reassurance through a series of promises. Promises that start with the self, start with the selfish. You will be great. You will be a great nation. And then spirals outward from there. That that you will then, by, by being a great nation, you will be an influence on the world stage. The nations that bless you will be blessed and the ones that curse you will be cursed. And then spiraling beyond that, more than that, that you will become a redemption, a healing, a blessing to all the families of the world. It's a promise that starts out being about genetic reproduction as we understand it, the common biological form, but it does not end up there. Somehow, the promise jumps off the railroad tracks. Somehow, it starts to talk about something much bigger, much more prolific than simply having a lot of kids. How can one person's blessing extend to more than just their children? How can Abraham have children that aren't descended from Abraham? This gets confusing for Nicodemus, too, who is, I firmly believe, a very smart guy, but who Jesus has to talk through, really spoon-feeding him this idea one step at a time. Nicodemus is a Pharisee, and so when Jesus says you have to be, no one can see the kingdom of heaven but that they are born again, Jesus, Nicodemus starts off by taking it literally. Surely an old person can't go back into their mother's belly. Nicodemus is there to make sure that we don't make the literalist mistake, to make sure that nobody imagines that Jesus' words in this passage are to be taken literally, but to make sure that we understand what Jesus is really talking about, that he's using birth as a metaphor. So what's Jesus really talking about? Human beings like you and me having a new birth. About He's talking about reproduction, but not physical reproduction. Here's Jesus, this young person, inviting Nicodemus, this old powerful man, to be reborn. To take the seed of Jesus' word and let it be planted in his heart, to let it grow. To become a child of God. Jesus is talking about spreading an idea Spreading a message, spreading the gospel that is himself, his life, his way of loving and living. Just as the serpent was raised up in the, de- in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that all may see and believe. Many of us in the Christian tradition throughout the centuries have felt that there is more to being born again than simple cultural transmission, than simply catching the new idea 
hearing about the new way of being. We certainly feel it so profoundly in our hearts that it seems different from just education somehow. But I will want to say this this morning. You can say that there's more to being born again than simple cultural reproduction, cultural transmission. But you can't say that there's less. You can't say that that's not part of the plan and part of the picture. One candle lights the next. One example inspires another to follow. And of course, this is part of God's healing work. When Jesus is talking about this other form of reproduction, this other form of being born, this other form of giving birth, he recognizes that it's not always for the better. Jesus seems to clearly understand that there are people out there whose true father is Satan. I better have a citation for that one. It's John 8:44, when he says, Your true father is the devil, and you lie like your true father. So this idea that Jesus has that we're not just the children of our biological parents, but we're the children of all the ideas we've inherited, all the social mores, all the cultural baggage, all the ways of imagining ourselves, all the stories, he recognizes that that's not always a positive thing. That often we imbibe, inherit a spiritual identity that is corrosive, destructive. And yet, Jesus believes in this spiritual reproduction, believes in it profoundly. Jesus had no children except for this way of having children. Jesus turned away from his biological family until they joined his spiritual family. He made clear that in his mind, there was no comparison between these two methods of reproduction in terms of their value, their potential, their importance in this healing work. Jesus did not reproduce in the genetic biological sense at all. But Jesus was the most prolific and successful ancestor of all time, you could argue, according to the Spirit. I love this picture because of the way it's portrayed that Jesus is just, isn't just holding a baby, isn't just let the little ones come to me. Jesus is drowning in babies in this picture. To me, it really evokes that fruitfulness of spreading the most beautiful story in the world. How it draws people in, how it creates a family that goes beyond all barriers of genetics or circumstance. This is the importance of Jesus being lifted up so that little Jesuses may be born. How many over the centuries have been impacted by Jesus' personality, imprinted by this spirit? And not just those that call themselves Christian, but everyone whose understanding has been reshaped by contact with this Jesus story and the love that he lived and taught and spread generation after generation. 
Oddly enough, this idea that ide- this this concept that ideas have a lineage and can propagate themselves and reproduce in a way that's analogous to biological reproduction is a theme currently taken up by perhaps the most unlikely of people. Internet atheists. I'm serious. Have you heard of memes? Memes are these simple images with simple text that people craft themselves. It's like one-panel cartoons that you send out to your friends. But that name, meme, was, is actually quite young. It, was, it comes from a book written, I believe, in the 80s by arch-angry atheist and internet icon Richard Dawkins in a book called The Selfish Gene. The whole book is about how genes want to be reproduced. Genes want to spread themselves. And then in the end, at the very last chapter of the book, he says, oh, and by the way, I think ideas are the same way. And you could imagine a given idea, say, a purple elephant on a blue ball. An idea that once I had it and spoke it, then spreads to other people. Now, that's a particularly maladaptive idea because it's boring and uninteresting. And so none of you are going to go on and spread it to other people. It's a virus whose time will be very short. But that some ideas are extremely adaptive, enormously good at reproducing themselves and spreading through a human culture. This is the origin of the word meme. He made it up. It was the idea that it was a memory gene about miming, imitation. So that's where the the etymology of it came from. Richard Dawkins has a lot of really, really crazy ideas and says some pretty awful stuff. He is among these angry atheists who actively denounce and combat religion in all forms without judging between those who live by their faith commitments and those who destroy and harm. And it's not a perfect metaphor. Genes and memes don't behave in the same way. Ideas are so much more fluid than the stuff that is coded in our DNA. Ideas mutate. They behave in ways that are not analogous. But for we who believe that God is love, God is faithful. For we who can go beyond Richard Dawkins' hostility and cynicism about this beautiful earth, We believe that God is ever-present and a guide to teach humanity that the ideas that spread themselves rapidly don't do so just randomly, but do so because they have some kernel of goodness in them, some truth in them that causes them to be so successful, to be so enchanting, to be so beautiful in the minds of people, and that it is no coincidence whatsoever that the name of Jesus is spoken with reverence throughout the world. 
For those of us who believe, we understand that although it is possible to be born of all different kinds of thoughts, to have all sorts of spiritual lineages, that there is a consistent path, an unchanging lineage of those who listen to the Lord. The faith of Abraham, the faith of Christ. They say that about uh, 16 million men in the world today carry the Y chromosome of Genghis Khan. Perhaps the historical figure we can name that has been the most successful genetic reproducer. That comes to upwards of 24% of the population of Mongolia, you can imagine. Literally a father to about a quarter of the men in that country, and probably about a quarter of the women too, although without the Y chromosome, that's harder to trace. And those numbers don't even begin to compare, do not even touch the billions after billions, century after century, shaped by Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah, the child of God. The greatest conqueror and womanizer in history does not even begin to register on the scale of the spiritual reproduction of Christ. Of course, it didn't start uniquely with Jesus. In fact, You could reasonably claim, along with Paul, that all those who have faith in Christ are also a descendant in that same faith of Abraham. In which case, you'd be forced to conclude that Father Abraham does indeed have the biggest family the world has ever seen. That the promise we find in Genesis 12 has come true, is coming true. A blessing to all families of the world. What I want us to imagine as we move into this Lenten season is how exponential, how explosive is the growth of ideas, the birth that comes from above, spiritual reproduction. It's the invention of the very act of of martyrdom. Before Before this revelation, martyrdom makes no sense. It is the end of your family line. It is the end, in many ways, from how the ancients thought of you. They thought that it was so problematic to die without having descendants that the ancient Israelites actually had a law in which your if a man died without having children, his brother would have to marry his wife in order to have children that would carry the dead person's name on. This is how wound up they were about genetic reproduction. Because they saw that as the only way of spreading, the only way of God's promises of growth and victory coming to fruition. But now, with this new pair of glasses that Paul offers us, that Jesus made for us, We can see that dying biologically can be, has been, actually a potently reproductive act. Wrap your noggin around that one. 
that dying biologically can be a potently reproductive act by standing as a testimony, by showing all the world a beautiful story, a story of heroism in the face of oppression and cruelty, a story that rings true in every person's heart, you spread not just the gospel of Christ, but the gospel of Christ with a you-flavored component to it. You have added your little bit to that stream, and so as its enchantment spreads, so does your influence too. And by uniting yourself with Christ, you find greatness unimaginable. I am the dance and I still go on. And I'll live in you if you live in me. When God invites us into new things, it's not something horrible, some terrible burden, something holding us back. It is, in fact, the greatest empowerment we will ever face in our lives. And as Paul points out, not only is it not just about words, it's not even just about works. Yes, we all have beautiful words that we can offer at certain times in our lives. Beautiful things we can do that will spread this idea, that will allow ourselves to be born anew and encourage others to be born from above as well. But really, what is winsome? And by that I mean what wins people over. What is virally communicable? What is highly reproductive above all else is the simple love that we hold dear. It doesn't have to come out in the most perfectly crafted words. It doesn't have to come out in highly dramatic works. But the faith of Abraham, the faith in the God of creation, the God of love, is itself the most attractive thing. It is that chord that resonates with all of our heartstrings. It is an irresistible story. So today, as we consider what God is inviting us into, think about the most beautiful thing that you have. What do you have that is most worthy, most interesting, most reproductive? Think about that heart of love and how it lives out. And be reassured that it will grow, blossom, spread beyond the horizon that you can imagine.